on a date who said no. And uh, so there's a whole story there that we were doing a family event. I, I usually share that whole story. And um, but anyway, but yeah, she said no. She was 23 years old when we met. And uh, so she was out, had her own career. And I asked her on a date and she said, no, you have to call my dad first. And I was like, what? And, uh, and it was really her way of weeding guys out. Like if she, she just got asked out a lot and she was like, you know, if it, someone's not, we don't want to call my dad, then great, I don't have to go out with you. And uh, yeah, so I showed up at her house the very next day and I said, hey, I talked to your dad this afternoon and she turned white. She was like, what? Um, yeah, we have, to, uh, we have two kids. Uh, both of ours. This is actually, I think, two years ago when they were still in high school. I told you they're in college now. Uh, my, my daughter, Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-A-N, she's named after um, uh, Aslan, uh, the lion from the Lion of Wardrobe. So we put an H in it, so it's Ashlan. And, um, and then her middle name is Shay because my wife's mother's name is Kay and my mother's name is Sherry. We weren't going to name her either one of those. And so we did Shay, which was a mixture of both. And then my son, his name is Bailey. And um, then his middle name is Allman, A-L-L-A-M-A-N, not after the Allman Brothers Band, uh, but after my favorite co- professor from college, I took a class on Romans in Bible college and it was the first time in my life I ever remember hearing the word grace. And I was like, I grew up in church my whole life. How did I not hear this? And I heard about grace and I remember I was so overwhelmed. He was talking about just God's unconditional favor for us because of what Jesus has done. And I was sitting like on the third row of class. I got up and went in the back of the classroom and got on my face in the classroom and was just sobbing. And just said to that day, God, if you ever give me a son, I'm going to name him after this man because he's just now changed my life. So we did. And he actually got to meet him uh, for the first time at, um, we didn't know this, but when my son got here from high school, he, my professor's grandson was in my son's graduating class at the same school. And we're like, uh, so I was doing the benediction at my son's graduation. And then I look out in the crowd and my mentor is out there. And I'm like, what? Anyway. I'm way off topic here. Um, anyway, those are, <laughs> I love stories. I just, I wish I could have my own NPR show. I really do. NPR show, just sharing stories. Cause I, I'm an NPR nerd and I love stories. So um, anyway, we, uh, gosh, we covered a lot today. Any questions? I, we didn't get to do questions in the last session. Any questions about the technology stuff before we move on? Any questions about this morning? All the personality stuff? Any questions about anything? I'd rather answer your questions than just get more information. If there's anything at all. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Okay. So glad there's some pop culture people in here. Um, We're going to skip this video just because of time's sake. So how many of you guys remember trying to teach your kid how to ride a bicycle? Remember that? Yeah, those were fun days. Yeah, nice, graceful, calm, patient days. And uh, I remember both of my kids. Uh, this is them when they were little. Ashlyn, she's the one that when I said, hey, let's take your training wheels off. She's like, cool. You know, because remember, she's the aggressive go-getter. Bailey, he likes for things to be as they're supposed to be. And so we were right, when, you're, when you're riding your bicycle as a grown-up with your child with training wheels, what you're really trying to do is to ride your own bicycle as slow as humanly possible without toppling over. You know, how much just, what's the minimum amount of inertia 
I need to have before my own bike falls over because your kid is going so slowly on the training wheels. And so I was kind of tired of all this. And I said, hey, Bailey, I have a great idea. Why don't we take your training wheels off? And he said, why would we do that? And I said, well, you know, if you don't have training wheels on, then you, you don't have to ride on the sidewalk. You could ride in the street or you could ride out in the field or anywhere you want to ride without training wheels. He goes, that's okay. I don't mind my training wheels. And I said, you know, if you don't have training wheels on, I, I, I thought this was like the biggest thing. I said, you know, if you don't have training wheels, then you can ride with all the big kids. And he goes, it's okay. I don't mind being a little kid. And so then I, I said, and these are actually, these are two questions that when I ask of both of my children, you, this is another freebie, by the way. Someone mentioned a while ago how many freebies I give out in these sessions. They have nothing to do with the session. So whenever my kids express some kind of um, uh, behavior issue, like and not, not like a little thing, but it's an ongoing behavior, not some simple thing like, hey, quit picking on your brother, but some ongoing thing, like I see them lying to their mom repeatedly or not fulfilling their responsibilities at home repeatedly, like it's an ongoing thing, then I always handle conflict outside of our home. All right, and the reason why is this, it's just me, it's just a preference, it's not a biblical thing. It's just for me, my preference is I want my children to perceive that our home is a place of peace and not a place of confrontation. So if it's a quick, simple thing, we're gonna deal with it. But if it's something that's gonna require a conversation or we're gonna have to sit down, I don't wanna go to the bedroom and have a conversation in their bedroom that's tense. And then the next time dad walks in their bedroom, they're thinking, oh no, here comes dad. What's going on now? So instead, we go outside the home. We'll go to Starbucks and have coffee or TCBY and have yogurt. We'll go to Panera and get a smoothie and just sit and talk. And so it's really kind of weird. He says, now my kids know that if dad asks, if dad says, we're going to go get a smoothie, like my daughter, one day when she was, I think in ninth grade or 10th grade, I, I, I showed up at her school instead of mom. And she goes, why are you here? And I said, oh, I just told mom I'll come pick you up instead of her. We could just go hang out to, you know, Panera and get a smoothie together. And so I turned left to head out that way instead of right to go home. And she goes, dad, I didn't even bring my phone to school. I, don't, I didn't do anything. It was like, oh no, I've made hanging out a bad thing, you know? <laughs> but anyway, whenever we have those moments, um, I, I start off the conversation by asking two questions and you can steal this and run with it yourself. Whenever there's an ongoing character conversation, I know it's going to be potentially tense or awkward that I start the conversation off. And the first question is this, Bailey, do you believe that I love you? Now, why is that an important question? Because if you, if, if you don't believe that someone loves you, are you going to trust that person? No, not at all. And so I asked the question, Bailey, do you believe that I love you? And of course, my kids have always said, yes, dad. Can we, can we agree that if you ask your children, you're upset with them because they're throwing things, picking on things, whatever the, whatever the issue is. If you ask your children, do you believe that mom loves you? If they say, nah, I don't think so. Then you have way bigger issues than whatever you thought was so important. And so I always ask the question, do you believe that dad loves you? The second question is this, do you believe that dad has your best interest at heart? Like, do you, do you trust dad enough to know that whatever I ask of you it is always because I'm looking out for what is best for you? And of course, my kids would say yes. And then I'll say, okay, Bailey, because you know that I love you and you know that I look out for your best interests, I, I need to address something that I've been seeing happening back at home between you and, you and mom. And see, now what I've done is I've lowered his, def I've reaffirmed our love relationship. 
I've reaffirmed his ability to trust me and I've lowered his defenses, right? As opposed to just starting off the conversation in the car by saying, so how do you think things are going at home right now? You know, now he's like, okay, something, dad's up, something's up. Like, what, you know, what's he, what's he gonna throw it at me now, you know? Uh, so I'm reaffirming our love relationship, his ability to trust me, and I've lowered his defenses. And what I've seen happen is every, I can honestly say this, every single time I've done that with my kids, they've never reacted uh, negatively. Like they've never reacted defensively because there's no reason to be defensive because this is not a confrontation. I'm not upset at you about, I'm not upset with you. I'm not angry at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I am just like you. I'm just as flawed as you are. I just want to help you be the best version of yourself, which is why we're having this conversation. Okay, that's done with the freebie. Let's go back to this. My kids, so Bailey, I said, um, uh, I said, Bailey, let's take your, uh, I said, Bailey, do you, do, you, do you trust dad? And he said, yes. I said, okay, let's take your training wheels off. And this is what we're going to do. You're going to get back on your bicycle and you're going to put your hands on the handlebars. You're going to look straight. You're going to pedal just like you did with the training wheels, except now it's going to be without the training wheels. Like just do the same thing and you're going to be just fine. And he looked at me and he said, okay, dad, just don't take your hand off the seat. Okay. Yeah, I know you lied to your kid too, because all of us did. And I don't know what happened. Maybe he heard my voice getting further and further away as I'm saying, great job, Bailey. Because then he turns his head to see where I am. And he turned the handlebars and hit the curb and flipped over the bicycle. And I ran down the street and I said, Bailey, I am so proud of you. That was so awesome. You made it so much further than I thought you were going to make it. That was so great. And he looked up and he said, you lied to me. I was like, I I know I did, but it wasn't for your harm. It was for your good. I said, now let's get back on the bicycle. He goes, no, I'm, I'm done riding my bicycle. I'm not riding my bicycle anymore. And I said, no, Bailey, unfortunately, I can't let you stop. See, you have to get back up again because if you don't learn how to do this on your own, you'll never experience the freedom of riding a bicycle. And so we got back on the bicycle and he crashed a couple more times and then he had it. And now he has it forever. And the same thing happens with our kids is that your kids are going to crash. They're going to, they're, the, the wheels are going to come off in their life at some point in time. I mean, it's going to different degrees of badness, but it's going to be hard that they're just going to blow it, that things are gonna go bad. And your child's gonna experience failing and the way that you respond to their failings, to their crashes is largely gonna determine the way that they respond. The way that you respond is going to determine the way that they respond. So for instance, we've mentioned several times today about the issue of shame and embarrassment, right? So if you shame your kid, you embarrass your kid. You know, it really, if I, if I come at you, Jim, with a baseball bat, you, which would not be a joyous thing, right? But let's just say that I did. You really have two options, don't you? What's one option? Exactly, Fight. So, so let's say you come to your child and your child, maybe it's that, that you ask them to do certain responsibilities in the home and for like three or four weeks, they're not doing it. So you come to your child and, and you start the conversation off by using extreme language. You know what extreme language is, right? That's not four letter words. That's the words never and always. Because once we use the words never and always, it's game over. No one's winning. You know, why do you, why do you always wait to the last minute to do something? My dad, why don't you just get off my back? Because you never listen to me. That's why. And now you're raising your voice. So they got to fight back. So what is your kid going to do? 
Oh, I can talk a little bit louder. Hey, dad, don't yell at me. It's not that big a deal. It's just trash, okay? Yeah, but you, you, you never listen to what I tell you to. Why can't you just do something right the first time? Dad, it's not like I'm on drugs. I'm not getting anybody pregnant. It's not that big a deal. And now they're yelling and you're yelling. And then they walk off and slam a door and you slam a door. And 15 minutes later, you're going, what happened? How did we get here? Because if you come at your kid and you verbally assault them, they're going to either do one of two things. They're going to defend themselves. Or what's the second way, your second option? Okay. Well, give me one and don't mess up my talk. <laughs> okay, I do not know. Neither one of my children would ever respond to me by saying, what's going on, dad? Why are you upset? <laughs> yes, is to run, is to fight or flight, is to run. You know, I'm going to defend myself or I'm going to protect myself by getting out of here. And, and this was my son, is that he would... He would uh, we had to learn early on that he was a master at self-deprecation. It was painful to watch as he would just constantly beat himself up over things if he didn't get something right. He graduated high school with a 4.1 GPA and yet he will tell no one about it because he made an A- minus on a class his senior year. So he feels like it's not good enough to talk about, right? And uh, we would come to him as a kid and if I ever said, Paley, like, I'm not even mad. Bailey, why did you do that? I'm sorry, dad. I just, I mess things up. I always mess up. I just, I just feel like I'm just master of messing things up. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not that big a deal. Okay, we're okay now. Like, never mind, carry on. Like, we just had to be careful how to discipline him because he was, you know, just so great at beating himself up, which is, by the way, earlier, you know, we were talking about the love languages right? And time, touch, talk, talent, that service. You know, one of the things that we had to learn how to do is how to discipline our children in a way that's not a violation of love. How to discipline them in a way that's not a violation of love. Now, let me explain that. My, my, uh, when, we, when Bailey came along, uh, you know, he's our first kid. We know nothing about raising kids. So I remember Bailey did something wrong one day and he's about, I don't know, four or five years old. And I was really, it was just more me. I was frustrated. It wasn't, he was necessarily that bad. It's more, you know, isn't it horrible when we discipline our children out of our own frustrations? And so I was frustrated. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do? Everyone tells me I should send my kid to a timeout. And so I said, Bailey, you need to go to your room and just stay there. And I will come in there and talk to you in a little while. And we can talk this through. So he's like shocked. And he gets up and he goes to his bedroom well, then I'm sitting in the living room and really, honestly, the only reason I sent him away is because I didn't want to deal with it. You know, full confession. Is I was just like, I just want my own, my own time right now. So I'm gonna send you away. I'll deal with you later. I'm gonna go back to reading my book. Thank you very much. It was about 15 minutes later, my four and a half year old son comes crawling in on his hands and knees like he's a dog. And he puts his hand on my knee and he goes, dad, I don't know what I did, but I promise I'll never do it again if you'll just let me come sit with you. Remember, what's my son's love language? Time. And see, in his, four, in his four-year-old mind, okay, when you spend time with me, that means you love me. And now you say you don't want to spend time with me. So how else is he supposed to interpret it other than you don't love me? 
And I felt horrible once I figured this out. Then my daughter comes along a few years later. And I remember one day she was about, I don't know, two and a half years old. And remember her love language is touch. It's how she feels love is through touch, through a physical affection. And she was over and she was kind of putting her finger on the, the uh, outlet as if kids can really do anything wrong with outlets. I mean, really parents, they can't put their fingers in them. But she's like playing with the outlet and I walked over and all I did was, no, we do not touch that. That's all I did. And she looked up at me like she had been physically violated. I mean, it was like, she looked at me like a woman who had just been assaulted and then just started screaming. And I felt horrible. I mean, not because my daughter was screaming like, I don't receive this. It was because all of a sudden it just hit me. The look on her eyes was that she's trying to figure out what just happened because in her mind, touch means you love me and that doesn't feel like love. And I don't know what to do with this touch you just gave me now. Does that make sense? And I was like, I'm not saying that you can't physically discipline your children, but for me, I just made a choice that the way that my daughter feels love is through touch. So I got to come up with some other way that's not confusing to her, that's not confusing to him. Does that make sense? We can accomplish the same thing, but I don't want to make discipline a confusing thing for my kids. All right, so back to them. The way that you respond is going to determine the way that they respond. And your kid is going to have three tips or types of failings in their life. All right, one is going to be unprovoked circumstances. Those are just going to be things that happen in life. It's, it's not, no, no one's to blame. It's just something that happened. My, um, one of my good friends at church, his daughter started playing competitive soccer, then junior, uh, junior Olympic soccer when she was in high school. Scouts were coming to check her out by her junior year and saying, man, she's got everything. She can go all the way. And then on the way home from her first practice, her senior year, they had a car wreck and she broke her femur. So she was out for the whole year and no more scouts came and there was no scholarship offers. I mean, in her mind, this is like, again, no one's to blame. It's just one of those things that happen. But in her mind, she's thinking, feels like her whole world is coming unraveled. You know, in your mind, this may seem like a great thing happening to your family, but for your kids, it's a tragedy. You come home on on next, next Friday and you say, whoa, kids, guess what? I just got the most amazing news at work today. My boss is going to double my salary. Isn't that incredible? Your kids are like, woo, we're buying the lake house. That's awesome. Uh, we're getting lift ticket. I mean, uh, summer, I mean, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, season passes, ski, ski, you know, ski lift. This is awesome. This is amazing. You know, our lives are changed forever. Oh, by the way, we got about three weeks because we're moving to Idaho. Idaho? Who lives? Do people live in Idaho? No, I'm not moving to Idaho. Your son is like, I, I, I'm a senior this year, I, next year. I'm not leaving. And your daughter's like, what about my soccer team and all my friends? And this is the only place I've ever lived. And for you, this is awesome. For your kids, it's a nightmare. Do you see? You know, oh, the second one is gonna be um, unmet opportunities. These are things that your kid tries for and your kid studies for and your kid works at. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. Maybe it's that your daughter just tries and tries and always wants to be the lead in the school play, but all she ever gets is a chorus. Or your son, man, he wants to be on the first string on the football team, but he, all he ever does is sit at the end of the bench. And she just wants to be first chair trombone, but she never gets above third chair. Like just, they work and work and work and it just quite never comes together. 
Maybe it's that your daughter goes, why can't, why, why can't I just have a boyfriend for once? Why can't just one person ask me out? Maybe your son just going, why can't I just have one best friend? Just one real friend in this world. And for whatever reason, it just never quite comes together for them. Or the third one's gonna be moral compromise. These are gonna be those times where we talked this morning about we wake up in the morning and said, God, you're the creator. You have a plan for me today. You remember that? So what happens is I believe that every one of us, we recognize God's boundaries. And we say, God, you got a plan for me today. And so I choose to live surrendered. What's your plan for me? And as long as we choose to live within God's boundaries, then we will always be free. I've told my children, the Christian life is not about rules. The point of the Christian life is freedom. That if you live within God's boundaries, you'll always be free from regret, free from remorse, free from shame, free from second guessing yourself, free from loss of reputation. You'll never have to experience those things as long as you choose to live within God's boundaries. My, I, I told you earlier that we don't have any rules in our house, that we taught our children that God's boundaries are his design of how life works best. Things will always work best for you if you choose to live within God's boundaries. My son, one day, his senior year, he was having a sleepover with a bunch of his, his, his five guy friends, and one of them couldn't come. And I asked him, I said, hey, Bailey, how come JM's not coming over? And he goes, I don't know, dad. His mom just has weird rules. Like sometimes he just can't do things and it doesn't make any sense. And I just, just curiously, I said, do we have any weird rules? And he goes, we don't have any rules. Well, now I'm really curious. And I said, what do we have? And he goes, we have lots of boundaries, but we don't have any rules. I was like, man, that's awesome. I'm gonna let you teach next time. You know, you got this stuff. And so, but anyway, but we wake up and, and, and but sometimes we wake up and we say, God, I recognize your boundaries. And then we invoke the just clause. You know what the just clause is, don't you? Where we say, God, I know your plan for me. God, I know that you want to protect me. God, I know that you're liking out for me. God, I know that you know what's best for me. But, but, but just this one time, I want to date somebody like that. And just this one time, I want to drink that. Just this one time, I want to taste that. Just this one time, I want to go to a party like that. Just this one time, I want to be a part, feel what it's like to be part of that kind of group. And then some of our kids in high school, by the time they get to high school and college, they've invoked the just clause so many times, they are lost in the spiritual woods and don't know how to get home again. I mean, some of us in this room know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like this has been our life, hasn't it? Like it's been your experience. And so we gotta be very careful how we respond in those moments with our kids because the way that we respond is gonna determine largely how they respond. So let me ask you this, of these three things, do we agree you see all three of these things in your kids' lives? Sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes they things they work for and they never quite get straight A's. And then sometimes that just morally things, they, they, they choose moral compromise outside of God's boundaries. Do you agree you see all three of the other things? Now of those three, which one, generally speaking, would you say most of the time we focus our attention on as parents? Moral compromise. Now, here's the big question. Why? This is what I want you to talk out loud. Why do we spend most of our time focused on that? Yeah, because the consequences are greater than the other things. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah. The eternal connotation. 
Because it's a, it's their, my kids' choice. Yeah, and uh, you want the, you want to help them make a, a better choice. Uh, maybe sometimes you see the rot of the choice because you know that you made the own choice and you don't want your kids to fall into that same choice. And so in that, that regard, it's a good thing. Yes, what else? Oh, man, I'm crawling. Oh, high five you. I honestly believe when it comes to parenting, that's the biggest lie from hell that we believe, that we get sucked into believing is that I, I think the way that we live out our, our role as a parent is very complex. But what the Lord is asking of us is very simple. What he's asking is simple. The way we flesh itself, it fleshes itself out is very complex. And the, the ask is this. We, my job, your job is very simple. We have to walk in truth, speak truth, and model truth to our children. Walk in truth, speak truth, and model truth to our children. Does that make sense? Now, how that fleshes itself out with your kids, Christian, is going to be a little different in the way it is with your kids, right, Kashia? Right? Does that make sense? But you're doing the same thing. So it can be very complex, especially when you have different kids with different personalities and different love languages and all those kind of things. It gets very complicated. But the ask, the requirement of us is very simple. So now let's get back to our kids again. So if, if my child, I've taught my children since they were in single digits, I've taught them that your choice is your, your consequence. I am not owning your choice. You got to own your sin. You know that, so if I have done, if you have done your job of speaking truth, walking truth and modeling truth and your child willfully walks outside of God's boundaries and says, mom, I've heard it. I've seen it. I've walked with you, with you through it, but that's not what I want for my life. I'm going a different path Then that is not on you. And you do not need to carry that as a badge of failure. Chances are there's someone in here that you've, you've got a grown prodigal that you walked with for years. You modeled truth for them. You loved them unconditionally. And yet they made a choice that that's not what I want for me. And they walked away. That is not on you. You are not a failure as a mom and dad. But what our enemy does is our enemy comes to us and our enemy says things like this. Oh, you know why your daughter acts like that, don't you? It's because of who you are as a mom. You know, your daughter wouldn't be like that if you were a better mom. You know, your son would act a little better if you were a better, more attentive dad. Like, you know that voice, don't you? You've, you have heard that voice, haven't you? Because we all have, and it is debilitating. And it's a lie that if you have done your job of speaking truth, walking truth and modeling truth and your child walks outside of God's boundaries, it is not on you. Now, if you have not done your job to speak truth, walk in truth and model truth and your child walks outside of God's boundaries, then you, there is some owning that needs to happen. Does that make sense? There are times with my kids that I've had to go to them and say, I feel like I failed you in this regard because I did not prepare you for the situation. Like it never crossed my mind that you might be in this situation. And I need to ask for your forgiveness for not preparing you for this. That it's still your responsibility and the consequences are on your shoulders. But I feel like I need to own some of this for not walking with you through that ahead of time. So, yeah, we, we focus so much of our attention on more compromise. We think that it reflects on us. You know, how am I ever going to show my face in church again? What are people going to think about me? I'm it, 
we got to have enough maturity to get outside, look outside of ourselves and know that that moment's not about us. That moment's about our kid and what our kid is suffering with, what they're going through, that we need to be careful how we respond. Um, so here are some things that we can do. One, we have to bear the burden with our kids when the wheels are coming off, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Meaning if you wanna sum up what the gospel really is, just be with each other and bear the burden with each other. That bearing the burden doesn't mean I can take all the weight off of you. It doesn't mean I take any of the weight off of you. It just means I'm making a choice to walk with you through this experience. Let's say, God forbid, your 16-year-old daughter is sitting at the dinner table. And she says, hey, mom, dad, you know, me and, um, me and Jimmy John been dating for about eight months now. And you're like, yeah, you know, we like him. He's a good guy. Yeah, well, I might've made a mistake. Like the kind of mistake I'm gonna pay for in about nine months. Now, can we agree that in that moment, she doesn't need to hear, what were you thinking? How could you do something like this? I have taught you better than this. What what, what are you going to do about high school? What are you going to do about college? You don't have a job. How are you going to take care of a kid? All of those questions are legitimate questions. And they all need answers, but not in that moment. That in that moment, maybe it's just that, sweetie, I wish you had chosen differently, but I'm not going anywhere. And I will walk with you through this experience so we can find our way back to Jesus and he's gonna be honored even in this. Do you see that? That doesn't mean that you can change any of the consequences or the circumstances. It's just saying, I refuse to let you go through this by yourself, which is what I was talking about with my son earlier, you know, with the pornography. But in carrying the burden, you have to do it without doing certain things. And one, you have to carry the burden with your child, walk with them through their failures without making all things right. Number two, without removing natural consequences. And three, without being your child's savior. I know we have a lot of, uh, one of the new terminologies we've used the last few years is helicopter parents. And I think part of helicopter parenting is it really is coming from a good place in our heart that we wanna protect our children, but in a negative way, it comes out of fear, a posture of fear. And so we wanna be careful that my job is not to always protect my kid from every unfortunate thing could happen, that your job is not to remove every curve in life and make the path smooth for your kid. You know, uh, I, uh, let's say that my, um, uh, true story, let's say that your son comes home when he's 15 years old and as happened to me and said, uh, hey dad, so on the way home tonight, um, this policeman pulled me over and he gave me a ticket. Really? Well, I wonder why he did that. He did, well, he said I was speeding and it says on here, I have to go to court. Like, what does that mean? And I said, well, what that means, Bailey, is that you're gonna have to go and stand in front of a judge and there's gonna be a lot of other grownups in the room and none of them are gonna like you. I said, and then you're gonna stand in front of the judge and he's gonna look at you very sternly and ask you, did you do it? And then you have to be honest. Did you do that or not? And he was like, well, of course I'd be honest. And he's gonna tell you what your punishment is. 
And I said, and he may say that you have to take, do community service or you have to take a class or you have to pay a fine. And I said, and whatever the consequences are, that's what you'll have to do according to the judge. He was like, wow. And I said, but I tell you what, I said, I'll take off work that day and I'll go with you to court. So there'll be at least one grown up in the room that loves you. And I said, I can't change what the judge says. Matter of fact, I can't even speak at all unless he asked me to, but I will at least be standing behind you to be there to support you. Now, could we agree that's way different than if your kid comes home and says, I got a speeding ticket and you say, wow, man, that's really unfortunate. But you know, I get this guy in my Sunday school class and he's a police officer here in Lawton. We've been friends for years. And I tell you what, I'll talk to him tomorrow morning and I'll see if he can somehow help us out with this. Because if that happens, then what does your child learn? Oh, dad can fix everything. Mom can take care of stuff. Moms, moms have this magical power that when your kids are little, that you can fix any hurt with Neosporin and a Band-Aid. Like it can be a literal scrape or an emotional scrape. And you show up with Neosporin and a Band-Aid and your kid quits crying. Like, isn't that crazy? You know, but that's fine when your child is little, but it's very different when they're 17. And what happens is if mom is the one that always steps in every time to be the emotional salve, then your child never learns to depend on Jesus. They never realize that God is the one that they really can count on. You know, my whole life, I've been telling my kids that dad is not the one that provides for our family. God is the one that provides for our family. Dad is not the one that holds our family together. God is the one that holds our family together. You know, reinforcing to them that in case something ever happens to dad, our family will be okay because dad's not the, that's not the linchpin here holding everything together. I used, I used to work at a private Christian school. Oh, that school I was telling you guys about. A school, and there was a, a guy that he was a ninth grade, 10th grader. They got caught cheating on his uh, Algebra two final exam. And he admitted it, he confessed it. And so my job at the school is I was supposed to be like, in, whenever you have these come to Jesus meetings in the office, I'm supposed to be the one grown up there that still likes you and as the spiritual life director. And so the principal, vice principal, the counselor, his parents, and then me that still likes him are all there. And he's like, yeah, I did it. What, what do we need to do? And, and so we're talking about the consequences. You got to do summer school. It's going to be $2,800. Forget family vacation. You're going to be here the next six weeks. I mean, this is bad. And then out of the blue, mom looks up and she doesn't address the teacher. She just looks in the teacher's direction. And she said, you know what? My son would not have done this if she was not so hard in that classroom. And I'm sitting there just kind of stunned. Like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I know you're upset. I know you're emotional. But what you just told your son is that he's not responsible for his choices, that somebody else is to blame. And we got to be careful that we don't swoop in when our kids, whether it's unprovoked circumstances or an unmet opportunity or a moral circumstances that you're not trying to fix everything for your kid. You know, let's say that you're, you're up in the grandstands at the football game and it's like week eight and you're watching your son sit at the end of the bench and you're thinking to yourself, this coach obviously does not understand my child's natural giftedness. I think it's time for him to be clued in a little bit. Hey, we paid fees like every other parent. How come my kid's not playing? So you're going to walk down the field after the game and you're going to have, have words with that coach because you're going to fix this. But what if in reality, your son has been learning what he's supposed to be learning the whole time 
Because this whole season, God's been teaching your son that the last will be first and the first will be last. And this whole season, God's had your son, you didn't know it, but he's been reading through Philippians in his quiet time. And he's been learning in quiet time and at youth group about what it means that Jesus came down to become one of us and took on the very nature of a servant. And now your son is getting to understand what that means to have the very nature of a servant. And now you're going to rob him of a blessing because you think you're going to fix things. Because we don't understand things from God's perspective sometimes. We step in to try to make everything right. So here's some things you can do though. Um, One, explain God's pruning process. What I mean is explain that in your own life that God did some work in you to remove things from your life that you perceive to be a good thing because God had something way better in mind. Yes? All right, so uh, what, what is your name? Jonathan and you are? Lauren and Jonathan, were you dating someone before you ever met her? Yeah, you were, right? So you're, you're with this other woman and you're like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's the woman of my dream. She's amazing. You know, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with her. And Lauren's like, oh, I don't think so. God just didn't, have, God hadn't done the pruning yet, buddy, right? And so God removed her and brought her along, right? And you're like, yeah, because I'm the real deal, right? Yes, that's how that happened, isn't it, right? Because God had a better plan than you, right? Anybody here go to college? Anybody go to college here, right? You went to college? Uh, uh, Troy, uh, what did you major in in college? Sociology, sociology, and you've used that degree your whole adult life, right? Exactly, right. Did you know two, two out of three people are in a career different than what they majored in in college? Because we thought we had a plan and God had a different idea. Yes, because God has always has a pruning process going on in our lives. And the same thing with your kid. When your kid is like, why am I losing this friend? Or why is this opportunity not happening to me? Or why isn't this working out? Just share those experiences, your own experiences with your kid. That doesn't mean your child needs to know about every time that you walked uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes. But what I am saying is when God presents the opportunity, let your kid understand that you get it, right? You don't have to dominate the conversation. Just share your story and let it rest there and let them process it and figure out, okay, what does that have to do with me? Number two, invite your children into your valleys and mountaintops. I'll try to do this really quickly. Is it, um, what time is it? Okay, all right, we gotta wrap up. Uh, Invite your kids into your valleys and mountaintops. What I mean is your spiritual valleys and your mountaintops is that when things with you and God are clicking really well, Invite your children into that and share those times with your kids. When things with you and God aren't going well and you feel like you're in a a valley, you feel like you're in a desert, share that with your kids. Because what happens is to your kids spiritually is the same thing that happened to us growing up in church. We've communicated the Christian life so wrong to our kids, especially teenagers. And we just do it decade after decade after decade. It's like we communicate this, this picture of the Christian life is that you start way down here in the muck and the mire of your sin. And then the goal, the spiritual journey is to get from the bottom all the way up to the top of the mountain. And when you get there, then you somehow accomplish spiritual maturity. That's where you get to be really intimate with God is up on the mountaintop when you've worked out all your sin. Now think about this. When God came to Moses and said to Moses, Moses, I got a word for you to give my people. I want you to come meet with me. Where did Moses go to meet with God? I know it's four o'clock, but this is preaching for the next five minutes. This is where you get to talk out loud at Church of Christ, folks. When Moses went to go meet with God, where did he go? Up on the mountaintop. 
Then God met with Moses, met with God. God changed his hair. God gave him the Ten Commandments and said, now I want you to take it back home and give it to my people. So where did Moses go? In the valley. Do you know why? Because that's where he lives, is he lives in the valley because life happens in the valley. When God came to Abraham, life, Abraham's bumping along, enjoying life with his one and only son. And then God says, Abraham, I got to meet with you. Come bring your son, by the way. Where do they go to meet with God? Up on the mountaintop. Then God says, time out, new plan. I'm providing a ram in a thicket, which represents Jesus, by the way. Now go home and celebrate. Where did they go? Back in the valley. You know why? Because that's where they live. That's where life happens in the valley. Most of life happens in a valley, not up on the mountaintop. Anybody ever go to youth camp as a teenager? Yeah, church camp? You remember saying things? We would come home. Our parents would say, how was church camp? Oh my gosh, mom, it was the most amazing experience. I've never felt closer to God in my life. Remember saying that? Yeah, it was the most amazing worship. I could feel God right there with me. And then about four days later, what was going on? Like you start thinking, God, did I do something wrong? I don't feel you anymore. I don't sense you anymore. I don't, I don't feel the same way I did at camp. You know why? Because camp is up on the mountaintop. It's an artificial environment where there's no oxygen, right? We're not thinking straight, right? We were meant to go to the mountaintop to experience it, to love it, to adore it, to see the view of it, and then go back to the valley and tell everybody else what God did. And we, we have to help our kids understand that because they're growing up in a spiritual environments where we communicated that you're supposed to be spiritually mature, be mature, follow Jesus, be mature, sin a little bit less. And then when they blow it, they think that somehow they're never gonna get there. When getting there wasn't the point, the journey was the point. I'm just learning how to be, just, just love God and love other people. Just fall in love with Jesus. You know, so um, invite your kids into your spiritual valleys and mountaintops. Number three, be willing to share your own life mistakes. Age appropriately. That doesn't mean that your 14-year-old doesn't need to know every sexual sin of your past in order to understand that mom and dad gets it, what you're going through. But I can tell you, I think a lot of times we are so fearful as parents of sharing our mistakes because we think if our children know our mistakes, then they won't, they won't respect us. They won't listen to us in authority figures. But really, it's just the opposite. I remember I, I told you about my son and us having the conversation at 14 about pornography. You remember that? It was like an hour ago, right? So we had that conversation about pornography. And then I told you that every year on his birthday, we have a manhood conversation about a different aspect of manhood or womanhood. And so on his 16th birthday, uh, he was getting in bed and I said, Bailey, how many conversations have you and I had about digital pornography? And he goes, more than my fingers. And I said, I think it's time for me to tell you why that's been so important to dad. And I told him what happened in 1994. It was after my first year full-time in ministry as a youth pastor starting in 93. And we bought our first home computer from Circuit City. And we put in an AOL floppy disk and we got email for the first time. It's like email, what's email? Like people are gonna like send me messages like on the computer? That's the weirdest thing. And so I said, we got our first computer and we lived in the parish at the church. And so I could just walk home and get lunch. And so I told my son, I said, I came home about a week after we got our computer and I thought I'd just eat some sandwiches and for lunch and turn on the computer, check my email. And there was an email right there waiting for me. They said, just click here, come and check me out. 
we'll have fun together. And I said, and I started the mental gymnastics with myself. And I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good guy. Nobody would question it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I take care of people. I mean, I work hard. I, I mean, I deserve some fun, right? I mean, the, I mean, in the big scheme of things, this is pretty innocent. I mean, it's not like it's a real person. I mean, no one's really getting hurt here. And it's just, I mean, it's just one email. I mean, just this one time, I'll just go check it out. And I said, and Bailey, before I knew it, I clicked yes. And that was the day that the enemy put his foot in the doorway of my life. And I said, and as I told you, his foot is really hard to move. And I said, it started about a 15 year journey in my life of God having to redeem that part of my life. And I said, I'm so grateful that your mom is a life partner that understood that had nothing to do with her. It, only, it was only about one thing, and that was the enemy's attack in my life, trying to get me to believe a lie. And I said, I'm really grateful for where God has me now and has our family now, and he's redeemed that whole part of my life. And so um, a couple years later, on his 18th birthday, we're sitting down and we're having dinner together as a family. And the conversation, the manhood conversation that night was about defining moments. And we were talking about moments that we all experience in our life that kind of set your life on a new trajectory. That kind of, you know, God just does something in that moment, whether it's at a youth camp or just a conversation with someone or some experience on a missions trip. And so we're going around the table and all of us are sharing our defining moments. And then it came to Bailey. And Bailey said, I know my defining moment. And I said, what? He said, it was the night of my 16th birthday. And I knew what he was talking about, but I said, why was, and so he told the rest of the family. And I said, why was that a defining moment for you, Bailey? And he said, because that was the day that I knew that my dad gets it. That my dad knows what I'm going through as a 16 year old, because he went through it too. And that was the first time I know that you told me when I was 14, but when I was 16 is when I really believed it that you really were with me in this thing. You don't have to be afraid of your past because when you share your past with your kids, it's not to glorify the sin. It's to glorify the one who's redeemed the sin. Yes? So you can be willing to walk gracefully, walk into that with your kids. Model biblical restoration by being willing to ask for forgiveness yourself. Discipline in the context of a relationship. And uh, that's the, we, we've addressed this verse earlier today. Proverbs 12, 18 is reckless words, pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That I want my kids to walk out of those conversations, your kids to walk out of those hard conversations with you, feeling equipped to know how to honor God the next time. You know, I think that every one of us as parents, we all have an end game that we are parenting toward. The problem is we've never stopped to articulate what our end game is. What is it that when your child leaves your home and they're fully taught, they're fully formed, what is it that you want them to know and to be able to do? And, and, and every coach has an end game. Let's say your, your son is in the football game and he's, he, he, he's, the, he, he's the receiver. Quarterback calls the play. Your son runs down the sidelines. Everyone stands up in an anticipation of what's going to happen. Quarterback throws it down. Your, front, your son catches it 25 yards down, goes into the end zone. Everyone's celebrating. The cheerleaders are spelling your son's name. I mean, this is, the, this is the day of all days. It's incredible. Was that the coach's end game? Was that his end game for the game? No, what's his end game? 
to win the game. Every game is the same end game and it's to win the game. Yes, we're gonna celebrate your son in that moment. That was a great victory. That's just not the end game. We're gonna celebrate all the things that happen along the ways. That's just not the end game. In the same way, you've got an end game as a parent. You really do. You just probably not to stop to, haven't stopped to think about what your end game is. Because for most parents, our end game has become behavior modification. If I could just get my kid to be a little bit less bad, really? Like that's the standard, it's less bad? Or our end game has become sin, sin management. Man, I'm just so glad my kids aren't as bad as those other kids. If my kid would just stop doing this one thing. You know, think about it. Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will follow me. Meaning that when the heart is right, behavior follows. So then if your end game is behavior modification and your kid fails, then guess who also is a failure? Mom and dad. Your kid blows it. Who's a failure? Mom and dad. If that's your end game, it's just for a kid to be a little bit less, less bad, to be a little bit better. But what if instead there's a higher calling? What if instead today you make a choice? Those of you who got kids that are just six years old, they're just starting out trying to figure a little bit about the world. Maybe your kid's in middle school. All of a sudden they're starting to understand some relationships with guys and girls now. And they're starting to understand some issues of trust now. Maybe your kid is in high school and you haven't done any of this yet, but your kid is in high school and you're thinking, this is my one last shot to lay some foundation in your life. Regardless of where your kid is developmentally, you can make a choice today that your end game will be to partner with God to transform your child's heart to just say, God, as best I know how, would you help me to walk in this moment with you so that my son, my daughter can become like Jesus? That's it. I'm telling you, you talk about the pressure being off. I, I, feel, I don't feel pressure as a parent. I've honestly before you, I don't mean that arrogantly and, or flippantly. I don't feel pressure as a parent because it's not up to me. You know why? Because they're not mine anyway. God's just invited me. He's privileged me and to you to partner with him to raise his next generation of children and his sons and daughters to be like his son. Yes? So to me, that's a joy. That's a privilege. It's not pressure. You know, I, I, but our, our kids, our kids feel that pressure to be good. They feel that pressure from our culture, don't they? They feel the pressure within church to be a certain standard of goodness equates righteousness. My daughter... Let me close with this. She, um, both of my kids, both of my kids love the Lord. Both of my kids love each other. It's been, I mean, one of my funnest things as being a parent is just seeing my kids love each other, like genuinely love each other. And, and they love us. It's been such a, just a wonderful experience. But my, it's the beginning of my daughter's senior year was the first time we ever had a train wreck. And I can't share the details because she's still very sensitive to it, but she lets me share this. It was really, really hard. Like we thought we were gonna make it out without any of our kids going through a real train wreck. And it was one of those kind of things where there was the potential for years and years of consequences. 
And we really grieved, like our whole family, her brother grieved, we grieved. We were just all just felt so broken. We all felt blindsided by this. And she was just came to us and just fully confessed it all. She was like, I'm just tired of living a lie. I'm tired of pretending. I just, I just got to throw up. Just here's my spiritual vomit. And we all just sat there in it, all the stench. It was hard. And so for a period of time, we, we removed social media. We removed the cell phone. We removed some friendships and we communicated to her that, sweetie, I'm not taking these things away because I'm angry at you. I'm not angry at you. You, you, you. you didn't make a choice that I might not have made myself. I'm not removing these things because I'm disappointed in you. I'm removing these things because these things have become a distraction from you hearing God's quiet voice. And I need to simplify your life a little bit so you can hear from him again. Does that make sense? She was like, okay, okay, dad. And then we're about three months into this whole process. It was near Christmas, her senior year. And she and I are sitting at the dinner table. It's about midnight one night. And she and I are sitting there talking and she's telling me all these things that she's learning, all these things that God's teaching her the last three months. Well, you know, not cynically, I don't mean to sound cynical, but in part, I know why she's telling me all these things, right? I mean, she wants me to be impressed with what she's learning. And she wants me to hear that she's not the same person. And then out of frustration, she just slammed her hands on the table. She goes, dad, I just want you to believe in me again. And I said, sweetie, what do you want me to believe? She goes, I want you to believe I really can be good. I can be good again. I can't. And I said, sweetie, you're believing a lie. And she goes, what? I said, it was never my desire for you to be good. It's only ever been my desire for you to be godly. And there's a big difference between being good and being godly. I said, good people grow up to become good liars. Good people become good deceivers. Godly people become like Jesus. And I could, in that moment, you could just physically see this weight come off of her this weight of performance, this weight of perfection, just this realization that I can just be. And I hope that you're able to do that for your own kids when they're going through their train wrecks. It's just to gracefully walk in those moments, be careful of your words, share your experiences, walk with them through the hurt and just let them be in the moment and the hurt of it. Just be some sad to your kids, reintroduce them to the grace of Jesus so they can be the men and the women that God has birthed them to be. We get a once in a lifetime privilege, guys. There is no retest. There's no do-over. We get one shot to walk with God through this experience with our kids. May we do it well. And may we do it with humble hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for our time together. I know, gosh, oh, there's just always so much information, God. I, 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 I feel like I leave feeling overwhelmed sometimes. And I just ask, Father, that you would be with us as we walk out of here and we could just let go of, of so much of the things that we've heard today and instead just wrap our minds and our hearts around the one or two things that you want us to do differently. 
God, I, I, I don't want us to be like the man in James who looks at his reflection and walks away and forgets what he looks like. God, I, we want to be both hearers and doers of your word. And so just speaking on behalf of my brothers and sisters in this room, God, I just want to tell you that we need you because we don't know what we're doing. And sometimes we don't have the right words and the right touches the right looks. So I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come to us. I know the reality is, God, some of us in this room are gonna get into our car and we're gonna go back to the home that just feels uncomfortable. There's just been a lot of tension lately. And so I just ask that your spirit would walk in, into those doors, into those rooms with us. God, I just pray for the mom and dad in here that it's just, Maybe today has just been struggling, just feeling like a failure or feeling this weight that just your grace would ooze all over them right now. We just receive that, Father. God, I thank you that your choice, your promise to be at work in us is not contingent on my ability to be a good dad and a good mom, but that you do this for us because of your son's sake. And it's for your fame we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, listen, I know, I know there's a lot of things that you guys could have done today. You could have stayed warm in your own homes. You could have, uh, you could have been watching Netflix all day and cleaning your house and just enjoying kicking your feet up. But instead, you chose to give up a whole Saturday to come and listen to some stranger talk. And that speaks very highly of your humility to submit yourself to someone else's authority. It also speaks very highly of your love and your care for your kids and your grandkids that you would choose to come and learn a few more things. And so I just wanna tell you, thank you for the honor of being able to be here and teach you today. Uh, it really is a joy and a privilege. And lastly, would you please tell um, Bobby and Janice, thank you so much for putting on this event and all the work that they put into it to make this possible. Thank you guys, God bless you.